Father, we come before you and we ask for your help as we go through the book of Hebrews that you would provide wisdom and insight. The things that the Jews, especially the leaders of the Jews that have gotten saved, were struggling with. We know that this author was dealing with those issues. And we pray that we would not make some of the same errors that they have made. Avoid the dangers that they were almost willing to make. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for us such insight that it would cause us to grow. And as we do this, Lord, we pray that you would just spur us on to fellowship, love, and good deeds, and looking into what proper and sound doctrine is. Help us to be about your business, for that's what we will be about for the rest of eternity. So, Father, we pray for your blessing again in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just to provide a context of what we're doing here, we're going through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ, superiority of him as the main sacrifice over the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He is superior to the Mosaic law, everything that was involved in the rituals, the sacrifices that were delivered, whether it be a lamb or a, a dove or a pigeon, all of that. And entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest would do that. Jesus is by far a better high priest that has come along and the author of this book, he was writing to the Jewish leaders of the time because the Jewish leaders that had gotten saved, they were having this tendency to want to slip back into what was familiar. It was hard for them to give that up, to go back to the sacrificial system and claim to be Christians, but go back to that sacrificial system. And this author is saying, no, that is not what we should be doing. And I should have my glasses as I speak about this. There they are. In Hebrews chapter 10, I think we left off in verse... 13, and again, by way of reminder, this new covenant is something that is different from the old in that the old covenant only atoned or covered our sins, where in this new covenant, this covenant of blood that we are under, that Jesus instituted, he is able to clear the consciences of those who come to him. And that is the only sacrifice that is meaningful. God did not enjoy or like the sacrifices of the Old Testament, even though they were required by the law, he wanted us. He wanted our lives. He wants our lives. Even though that was what was required in that particular dispensation, we have moved on from that to where we do not have to bring sacrifices any longer. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant never made anything perfect or those who are under it. And the Old Testament had a sacrifice particularly on Yom Kippur and that was not really for the forgiveness of the nation of Israel and their sins but it was a reminder that they were sinful and they had to do it every year. And that's what the law did. The law pointed out that people were sinners and that there needed to be a remedy. So it would force the individual to God. And again, as I said, God took no pleasure in the sacrifices of the old covenant. But Jesus offered himself as that one and only sacrifice to which no other sacrifices need to be made. And we ended with, since that time, Jesus waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And in verse 14, it says, Because by one sacrifice he made everything perfect forever for those who are being made holy. Now, what is that? Those who are being made holy. You think about it. And, you know, you get a verse like this, just one verse, and you want to look at it. You go, well, what does this mean, being made holy? I haven't been 
as far as I look at myself, made holy. I'm getting older. I'm running down. I'm not getting better. I'm getting worse, right? Now, you, probably the opposite is true. But with me, it's a downhill slide. And I, I think to myself, it doesn't seem like I sin any less. Matter of fact, I know what sin is even more now. And it seems like I'm more guilty now than I was when I became a Christian. Remember when you first became a Christian, what it was like? For those of you who are Christians, I assume that most people in here are. There may be a few that are not or not sure that you are. But when you had this salvation experience, can you remember what it was like? You're like, I'm saved. I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm saved. I get to go to heaven. This is all good. This is wonderful. I think, I think this is good. And you started going to church and you got yourself a Bible and it had a few Bible helps in it and you open it up and then you put your Pharisee tabs on the side so you could know which book to turn to at any one time. That's what we used to call them, Pharisee tabs, because we wouldn't have the books of the Bible memorized yet. And we were a Pharisee and we went to the law and doing all this stuff. And so we would call them Pharisee tabs, but when you grow graduated, you had no Pharisee tabs whatsoever. You didn't put tabs in your Bible. You're just able to open up and flip to the left or right because you had all the books of the Bible memorized. And that was all good. And you were excited. And then something came up to where you got to help as far as a missionary outreach or reaching out in your local community and said, this is great. This is wonderful. And you went to home fellowship and home fellowship was fantastic. And you got to answer and ask all kinds of questions that were there. And the fellowship was great. And everybody was in love. It said, well, this is so wonderful. I wonder what heaven's going to be like. And then you got a little older. And you said, well, yeah, they meet for that meeting over there and they go to home fellowship over there. Yeah, I've been on, I've done all that. And you kind of lose your luster a little bit, right? You kind of go into maturity, kind of like marriage. What are you guys moaning for? Mine has been like the first day. I mean, you just have a wonderful party all the way up right to the end and it crescendos. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. But you guys moan so heavily when it comes to marriage. You get married, right? You get in there and say, it's so wonderful we're married. Patty and I, when we got married, she had turned to me and she goes, you're my husband. And I turned to her and I go, you're my wife. You know, and we'd look at each other. And it's like, okay, if I'm getting used to this idea... And then the maturity part came in. Iron sharpens iron. You know, not too much, but you get that going on. And God wants us to be perfected. It takes two of us to be perfected like that, the way he wants us to be for those of us who are supposed to be married. And it is difficult, but you know, when you start to get it down right, it just, you start to sail. And it's great. And it's wonderful. And that's what maturity is being a Christian is all about as well. We are married to Christ or we are betrothed to Christ. And it, he causes us to go through these difficulties and these trials. And this is the, pro- the process of sanctification. Now, there is this positional sanctification. I think we confuse that with what is known just as justification. Now, these are some big words. Justification is where, I'm going to use an example, You go to traffic court because you were busted. You got a ticket, and it's going to cost you a lot, and you stand before the judge. And the judge looks at you and says, it says here in the docket that you are guilty of 95 miles an hour in a 15-mile-an-hour zone. How do you plead? (laughs) And you say, no contest. You say, guilty. Well, if it was in front of God, you would say, guilty. I am guilty. 
And he said, well, under the statutes of the state of California, I can put you in jail for a period of 30 days and fine you for $500. But then he says, but because of how I feel about you, dismissed. And he bam, and he hits the gavel down, and it's dismissed. He has mercy on you. You have been declared okay in front of that court. That is justification. We are guilty as sinners. We go before God. God says, you are guilty. How do you plead? Say, I don't. Jesus Christ pleads for me. He goes, not guilty because you trust in Christ to take away the sin. That's how it works. That is justification. It's a legal term. It's where you are declared right before God. Some people confuse that with positional sanctification, that you have been set apart for God and his purposes, right? Then there's this other idea of progressive sanctification, What is progressive sanctification? That's what I was talking about, about getting better. We're supposed to be moving on slowly and surely. Uh, Relate this to a little child. A little child, I love little children. I love those little video laughs. I love when they start walking. I love when they're happy and they're just being their little selves at about three to six months, just having a wonderful time eating spaghetti for the first time, you know, all of that stuff that you get to experience with them. But then they start talking. How do you, as a parent, respond when the child starts talking? Yeah, my grandson, he was over for Christmas, right? And he is, how old is he? She's two. He he come, he runs through you know the house and he's going every which way and and he's saying different things not quite sure and I turn to him I say Drake and he goes what and I say you going skateboarding he goes yeah and I say Drake do you have fun skateboarding he goes yeah and I say do you like Christmas he goes yeah I mean the the response is all the same then I'll ask him a question. Tell me, what presents did you get for Christmas? He goes, and he just kind of continues. And I start to, so I ask him more questions. And he just continues on. I turned to Patty and said, do you have an interpretation for what he just said? And, you know, his parents, my son and my daughter-in-law, they can kind of understand what he's saying. I go, I have no clue what he's saying. But when he starts talking, when he starts to mature, it's a great thing. You go, wow, he understands what's going on, and we get excited. And the same thing's supposed to happen to us as believers. We start understanding what Scripture has to say. We know some of the passages. We know the principles. We know the concepts. That's why I'll ask you guys questions during the message. I'll ask you a question because I'm waiting to hear if somebody has it, if they have the answer. And when you do, I just go... Great! Somebody is actually, they're in the scriptures, they're learning this stuff, they're maturing, they're moving on the way that they're supposed to. And there's no greater joy for any pastor than to hear the proper answers. And every pastor is still in the process of becoming a disciple. I'm still reading stuff and going, wow, that's a different perspective. And so it's this progressive sanctification. Not only do we learn this stuff, but we put this stuff into practice, right? Now, if you're having a a little grandchild or a little child around and say you're a father and you're building something and your little son comes up and he wants to help you build or your little daughter comes up and wants to help you build. Uh, Kimberly over here used to have a saying, I do it. 
And so I'd let her do it, you know, whatever it was. And sometimes it would end in disaster, sometimes it wouldn't. But this idea of doing, you let them do, and you're supposed to let them do it. Don't do everything for them, right? So they learn from their successes and they learn from their failures. Like, for instance, let me ask you this. How many have actively gone out either by yourself or with somebody else to witness about the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone? Please raise your hand. Okay, we don't even have 50% of the people in here. And you might think to yourself, well, that's scary. Yeah, and you might get rejected too. I've seen a whole lot of rejection out there when you give the gospel to somebody. Um, I was amazed over uh, Christmas. There is a guy. Who is the guy that does Family Feud right now? Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey does Family Feud. I saw a little clip. Somebody was incensed over Steve Harvey. He, he has the shaved head, right? Okay. He, he, was, he appeared on several different programs... One of them was on CNN, and he started talking about God. He started talking about Jesus Christ. He started getting objections from people. And there was several different clips. I guess he's been doing this for a while. I just happened to see it. And somebody was incensed and started calling him every name in the book. How dare he be so narrow-minded to think that his religion is right? And then I'd listen to a talk show. And on a talk show, somebody would call in and say, Christianity is the worst religion that has ever been around. It is so bigoted. It is so racist. How can you be involved in something like that? It is terrible, responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people. How can you follow something like that? And the person who was defending it was Jewish. He wasn't even Christian. He said the world is a better place because of Christianity. We're in a fallen world and people make mistakes. But it's this idea that you look at Christianity as something that's bad. It's not bad. It's going out and witnessing to somebody and telling them that we have salvation. Okay, that's what it's about. And if you do that, you grow. There's no question about it. The f I can remember the first time witnessing. Maybe you remember it too. What did you do? Did you hand out a track and go, here, please? You know, you'd kind of reach out towards them a little bit. You didn't want to get some opposition. Or do you just go right up to them and say, Hi, my name is Bill. I'm from Calvary Chapel Lakeside. I want to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to hear it, are you open to hearing it? And some people are. Some people just say, No, I don't want to listen to it. We've gone down to Mission Beach. The people going by in Mission Beach, half the people just go by. They don't even stop. And half of them stop and say, Okay, yeah, I want to take the good person test. Tell me about it. What is it? And it's a way of witnessing that's out there. If you try that, you are stepping out of your comfort zone. If you know what salvation is, if you know what the gospel is, I'll give you a challenge. Find anybody this week. Walk right up to them and say, excuse me, my name is so-and-so. I'm a Christian, and I would like to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear it? Some of you are going, no, I can't do that. Well, see, that's what God tells us to do. Now, you can go with somebody. It's always good to go with somebody to do that. But that's a challenge for you, right? And this is part of the, the progressive or the, yeah, the progressive sanctification, the moving on, coming to maturity, being a disciple and replicating yourself.
That's what God asks us to do. And Jesus Christ died for us to make this happen. I'll read the verse again. Because the one sacrifice, by one sacrifice, who is made perfect forever, or made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. And that is us. We go from event to event to bring us on to full maturity. And God uses all of them for his purposes in your life. Now, I'm going on in verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, about Jesus being the sacrifice and doing it for us. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So it's looking back at the sacrifice that Jesus made, sanctifying or putting people aside for his work and causing them to become mature that he will be able to add to the kingdom and not remember the lawless acts that we have been a part of. And he talks about this new covenant. It's referring back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 18 says, And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now again, if you don't understand the Old Testament and the tabernacle that was set up that I went over a few weeks ago, Jesus' body here says it refers to the curtain. Now remember, there were the outer courts, then you had... Uh, the outer court, the most outer court was the court of the Gentiles, then you had the court for the Jews, and then you had the holy place inside the temple or the tabernacle, then you had the holy of holies. And between the holy place inside the tabernacle, which was 15 feet by 15 feet, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, there was a curtain that separated it. And it says here that Jesus is that curtain. What happened to the curtain when Jesus was crucified? It ripped in two. Right? It was given as a sacrifice, the body of Jesus Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that type of thing. And so it says here that that is who Jesus is. And since it was ripped into what was open, the way to the Father, the way to God through the sacrifice. And we're supposed to remember this. This is how it all happens. To those of us who are Christians that never study this, it can seem confusing. It's like, what does this temple have to do or this tabernacle have to do with anything? And so we are to be reminded of the theology where, where the author is going with this. He gives us the theology. He tells us about the temple. He tells us about the sacrifices. He says Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Everything that was in the Old Testament was set up for us in New Testament times to understand what kind of examples were laid before us so we would come to Christ, right? And so he gives us a theology, and now he's going to go into the application of this theology. And by the way, that's the purpose of it. You look at the Bible and you find out what right and wrong is. You know what good and bad is. You don't just make it up yourself. Now, I've referred back to this before. Every one of us has our own system of what right and wrong is. We would say... Is it okay to go 56 miles per hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone? Do you give yourself the freedom to do so? (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, if it's 55, ah, 56, it's no big deal. I'm going to go 56. Will you go 57? Well, maybe, yeah, I think I will. Will you go 90? 
Well, no, that, yeah, there's one, one hand goes up. Yeah, I'll go 90. There's some, there's some place in there that you have as right and wrong that is not 55, right? So you set your own standard of what you're willing to break. What does the law do? The law comes along and says, you are guilty. You are completely guilty. And you go, ah, I can do what I want. You pertain that to life. Is it okay to steal something small? Have you? I will ask that again. Is it okay to steal something small? Have you? So, in other words, you gave yourself your own morality for a particular period of time. What does the law say? Guilty, right? And so there's this perfect standard that is out there, and God requires perfection. He wants to make sure we're not violating this, but God comes along and says, you're already guilty, so here is the way out, and here's the application. We need to know what right and wrong is. We need to understand that we're guilty. We need to understand that we're under judgment, but he gives us this way out. And so the old system, it never cleansed the worshiper. It never did that. The new system, the new covenant does by the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses our consciences. And Jesus, he has made this new covenant with us or all those who would choose to be under it. And the Bible says we get the chance to choose. Now, here's how he sets it out. Here's the application for understanding what Jesus did in verse 22. He gives four things here. He says, because of this, because this has happened, this is what you're supposed to do. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Thirdly, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And fourthly, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we have four things here that he says, this is what you're supposed to do in light of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest and bringing us this sanctification, bringing us on in holiness. That first one again, draw near to God with sincerity and assurance, having sprinkled hearts and washed bodies. Now, what does this mean, draw near to God? We usually draw near to God in a crisis. If there's some kind of crisis that happens, we usually turn to God and say, God, I need either comfort or I need some meaning. Will you help me with this because I am really struggling and I don't know where else to turn. I think this is the only place that I can go and we reach out to God. Well, God tells us to do that not when... There's just problems. He tells us to do that all the time. Now, how do you do that? Well, the first thing you do is you talk with them. Now, you might talk with them when you're driving. Oh, God, you know, you're coming up to something and you, the, all the traffic's backing up on Highway 5, the 8055 merge, something like that, and you, God, help me, you know, and you don't want to hit that person or you're bracing for the impact, something like that. You're calling out to God in a time of crisis. No, don't do that. When things are good, go, God, thank you. Thank you for this. Oh, it's a, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. We're to have a heart of thanksgiving, not just with God, but with each other. It's so good to see your face today. I'm so thankful you're here. Why? Because. 
That's fellowship of the saints. This is good. You're adding to your walk as a Christian. This is wonderful. We're to draw near to God. That means you spend time with Him. That means you pray. That means you separate a particular time just for Him. How often should you do it? Once a week. Once a month. It's supposed to be daily. And you're supposed to be in an attitude of prayer. Now, I'd say this. You are supposed to be in an attitude of prayer. We are supposed to be in an attitude of prayer. I am no different than you. I should be sitting down listening to this. This is something that, you know, I, I have the same fleshly tendencies, right? Now, I have a tendency to, I keep a journal of my prayers. You know, I type them out. I, I used to be you'd write them out. I had a typing class in seventh grade, and so I can close my eyes, and I can type. And so that's what I do. I close my eyes, and I type, and I have it all in there. And every once in a while, I look up at the screen, and I, I see, okay, I made a mistake there. I need to correct the punctuation and, you know, just to have it to where I can refer back to it. And as I have that, then I think to myself, backgammon, just for a minute. I think to myself, solitaire, That's just, just for a second. You know, I've been praying here, and I want to play some solitaire. I, I get distracted. And then it turns into not just one game, but maybe something else. And I forget drawing near to God. You're supposed to draw near to God. Spend time with him. Separate that time and hold it in reserve just for him. Then secondly, hold unswervingly to this hope. What hope? The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can anybody tell me what book that's in? Yes! There's a, there's a mature believer right there. Knows exactly where that is at, where that's located. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, you know how blessed we would all be if you all said that same verse at the same time? It'd be like a hootenanny here. We'd have one down. It would be a fantastic thing if we were having all of this in common. We're to hold unswervingly to the hope that we are going to be saved. Now, how do you do that? How do you hold unswervingly to the hope of salvation? Half the time we ask ourselves, am I really saved? Right? We don't hold on to that. Well, as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. As you seek after God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he will let himself be found by you. And once you do that, you will have this abiding joy on the inside. The Holy Spirit will bear witness that you are saved. And it will be something that only you can experience. It's not something that somebody else can give to you. It's something that you have to obtain by putting in the effort. Then give thought and encouragement to others to do love, acts of love, and works. Now, this could be a real pitch right here. I could put anything out there at this particular point and say, we need to do this. We need to go forward. What are you doing for Christ? And I could bring this cloud of condemnation on you're not doing anything for the Lord. I'm not going to do that because I know my frailty. I know how I don't want to. I know how I don't want to get out of bed. I want to lay there and languish and I hate the alarm and get up and do some extra work I don't want to do that I'm just like you guys have the same failings and faults that all of you do so what are we supposed to do we're supposed to go to each other and encourage each other that we have an opportunity an opportunity to gain reward in heaven and to be pleasing to God the Father and he will reward us and you will have a great entry into heaven or You can choose to do whatever you want to in this life. 
and give yourself fully to it. You will not regret anything that you give up for service to Jesus Christ. And please do not make a mistake in thinking you're working for me, you're working for the church, you're working for another ministry. Whatever you do, you do for Christ. Whether it's witnessing, whether it's going to Mexico, whether we go to Cambodia, no matter if we do Christmas on the main, you're working for Christ. And he is the one that would reward you. And so we're to encourage each other to love and good deeds. Like, for instance, I'm going to encourage you guys. I'm going to encourage you guys, if you are not going to a home fellowship, go to a home fellowship. You will not mature... You will not expand your horizons as a believer if you only go to Sunday morning. If you go to a women's study, great. If you go to the men's fellowship, great. That's fantastic. But I promise you, you will not grow. You will be stunted in your growth. You know the bonsai tree? You know how they keep those big redwoods about this tall? They wrap them with wires. They stunt their growth. Chinese women of royalty in uh, centuries past, you know what they used to do with their feet? Bind them up and they would be these little points. And guess what? They thought it was beauty, but it crippled them. They couldn't walk anymore. If you're not involved in fellowship, you might as well just be taking wires and wrapping yourself up with wires. It will distort your growth. You will not grow fully. And God intends for you to grow fully. It's not something that we should consider a mandatory obligation. It's something that we have an opportunity to do. It's like worship. We have an opportunity. We have the chance to worship. And we can sing and make a joyful noise, whether it's on key or not, to the Lord. And I think he's pleased with it. You know, he probably looks down and yeah, Bill can't sing very well, but that's, that's Bill, you know, something like that. Or he'll say about you guys. He can't sing very well, but this is great. This is fantastic. And so that's what we're called to do. And then, let us not give up meeting together. Now, I could ask you, what does that mean? Yeah. Let's go to church, right? That's what it means. And what if you say, well, you know, I, yeah, I go to church you know, every Sunday. I mean, how many times? Imagine this. Imagine if we had two services and we needed help in the first service with Sunday school and the second service you had to attend. Two services in one day? Imagine giving a whole... If, what if we had a Sunday night on top of that? What? Wait. Two services, serve at one, go to the next one, and come back at night? What do you think I'm doing here? Serving Christ. You know, it should be our goal that we get more from God this next year. Not less. That we get more responsibility. That we learn more. That we sign up and say, Lord, I want to go forward. My prayer for you is that you're able to say, God, here I am. I'm signing up. Whatever, wherever you want me to sign, I'm signing on there. For some of you, you're going to go, what might he ask of me? I don't know. Do you think it'll be exciting? Yeah. On my 40th birthday, my son, he uh, woke me up and said, Dad, get up. I said, what? He goes, I'm taking you somewhere. I said, where? He goes, don't worry about it. Just come on. So I got up early in the morning. We're driving. We go through San Diego, and we're going down towards the border. And he goes, do you know where you're going yet? I said, no. He goes, it's 
great. So we keep on driving. We go down there. We pull up to skydiving. And I go, skydiving, you know? We get out, and it's like, great. And you jump out of the plane. One of my other daughters just did it a couple of weeks ago. She jumped out and tumbled out of the plane and spun around and went down. It was a fantastic thing. But even though you don't know what's ahead, when I did it, it was like, wow, that was fun. Christ has the same thing for us. Even though it may be hard, it may be difficult for us to get on the game plan, whatever he has, it will be a blessing for us. So we need to just step up and say, I am willing. Sign me up. No matter what you want me to do, I'm going to be there. And this is part of the pastoral thing. I'm supposed to encourage you to love and good deeds. It says it right there. We just read it. So unless you want to, you know, just accept it and and say you want to go to listen to him, like he's trying to recruit people. No. God wants to recruit you. I'm just telling you the message. I'm going to go on. Verse 26. Now, again, he's referring back to the Jews and their sacrificial system. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment, a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What's he talking about here? To give it context again. The Jews had a sacrificial system in the Old Testament that was never able to cleanse those who were under it, right? Jesus Christ comes along, and he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is able to cleanse everybody who comes to him that is under the new covenant. It's called the covenant of blood. Those who are underneath the covenant of blood, those who submit to Jesus Christ, those who have been reserved for eternity ahead, do not have to worry about verse 27. Whoever is not for God is against him, the Bible says. If you are against God and you have not received the gift of salvation that he offers to us, he says a fearful expectation is awaiting that person. That means they're under judgment. It means you haven't gone before the traffic judge and asked the judge to forgive you of your traffic violation. You haven't gone before the judge of all the universe and asked him to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do, I quoted the verse earlier, You just have to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. The Jews did not understand this. They wanted to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he said, there is no sacrifice left for sins if you go back to that system. It is not the religion that you create in order to get to God. It is God what he did in order to get to you. So if you walk away from this message today with nothing else, God wants you And when you reflect on that, he has things for you. You have to sign up in both cases. First, for salvation. He says, I want to give you this. Most of us in here have it. We understand how to do it. You ask God to give it to you. You simply say, Jesus, save me from my sins. He does the sanctification part. He sets you to the side. And then you have to say, I want something to do. Whatever it is. Just give it to me. Now, without taking apart Jesus Christ from that, he's the one that we serve. But we're to reflect on it and say, God, because you have done this, because it's such a great gift, just show me and I'll do it. That's what you should walk away with. First, salvation. Secondly, a sense that, God, what is it you want me to do? I'm in. I am all in. If you do that, you'll be blessed. Not only in this life, but in the next. That is the encouragement for today. Now, if you have salvation, 
We are going to receive communion at this time if the worship team wants to come on up. And as this bread and this cup is being passed out, I'd ask you to hold on to both of them so that we can participate in receiving them together. Eric will be the one praying for the elements here. But as this is being passed out, if you don't know the Lord and you're not sure, you just simply say, Father, forgive me of my sins. If you do that, you reflect upon that, God promises to save you. Now, as we sing this song, if you want to contemplate doing that, that would be great.